our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. A Zero Season 3 Episode 44 starts right now. Welcome to the show. I'm Brandon Davis, joined today by Aaron Perrine. Massive show today, BD. Let's get right into it. Big old chonky show. Let's do this one. We got a lot to talk about. We got Jenna Anderson. Hey, everybody. I am very, very excited for this one. This is going to be awesome. This will be a good one. If you're here, you already know we have a special guest. Before that, real quick, I just got a couple housekeeping things I got to point out here real quick. Uh, thank you for all the success on the Loki episodes. We're having fun doing those every Thursday night. It's really been fun to see people respond and download and watch live and all that stuff with our Loki episodes. Uh, we have another Loki episode tomorrow night. There's only three left. We're halfway through season two of Loki already. We're going to have a bonus episode for the Marvels on November 10th. And this Friday, we're actually also going to have a bonus episode talking about Lego Marvel Avengers Code Red, which is a new special coming to Disney Plus on Friday. And we're going to have a special guest, mini superheroes today, genius Jonathan Pushkar, runs a really great Lego account on YouTube and on Instagram. He's kind of dominating the Lego superhero space right now. And he's going to be joining us on Phase Zero to talk about the Lego Marvel special on Disney Plus. So lots of good stuff coming up on Phase Zero. Listening to us on podcast platforms, make sure you're doing five stars, sharing us with your mom and your dog and everybody else who could possibly listen and keep our numbers going up because that's how we get amazing shows like the one we have today because of all of you who listen and support. We have a special guest, an incredible podcaster who I know some of our Phase Zero listeners already listen to. She hosts uh, with the Ringerverse, Trial by Content, The Prestige TV. You may have heard her spill facts on Succession and House of the Dragon recently if you're anything like me, and I highly recommend you pick up a copy of this book right here, which I know a lot of you already have. Some of you haven't yet. Look at that. You see all those notes? That's me getting through this book. I haven't read the whole thing yet because I'm trying to squeeze in as much knowledge as I could to get ready for today's show while also enjoying the hell out of this book. It is so much fun. Uh, MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios, the author, Joanna Robinson, is on today's Phase Zero episode live. Joanna, thank you for joining us. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. So much hype. I'm so excited to be here. As <laughs> I are- told you guys before we started, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. So delighted to be here. Thrilled beyond belief to see so many post-its sticking out of a book I wrote. What a what a delight. Thank you. So. I'm running out of post-its. There is so much. The, the, my favorite thing about this book, because I, I'm a huge Marvel fan, obviously, but I find myself learning new things, one, but also the things I already knew, there's context to them that I yeah. didn't know. And it puts it all in a whole. This book is so awesome. It's so It's been so much fun to read. Uh, I have, yeah, it is awesome. Uh, So I'm excited to talk to you about it. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my God. Thrilled to be here and so delighted to hear that because, uh, you know, folks like you who host a show like this are the people I was most worried about when we were writing books. I was like, are they just going to be like, uh, we already knew all of that. What is new in here? Um, But we've been hearing from people that there's new stuff, even if they thought they knew everything, there's new stuff that they didn't know. Or to your point, our hope was just to put it all in. Like when you lay it all out side by side and put it in context and loose chronological order, then a different idea of Marvel, I think, uh, emerges from it once you put it all together like that. So thank you for reading, for having me. I'm so delighted. Of course. It has me ready to like go rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the beginning with the perspective of how these movies were made. Because some of the most interesting stuff is just starting at the beginning. So we're, we're going to cover all that as much as we can in our time with you today. Um, but this this is a, it says that this idea for this book started like pre-pandemic. You guys have been kicking this idea yeah. around for a while. It's been yeah. cooking for a long time. So I would love to hear from when that idea first started, when you guys first came up with the idea, we're going to write MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios, kind of a culmination of the history of the studio and the story yeah. and the franchise to this point. How did that idea compare to now where it has landed? Yeah, because when the, you know, our publisher is Norton, um, delightful publisher to work with. And as an English major who read so many like Norton anthologies in school, when Norton called me, I was like, oh my God, the textbooks are calling me. That's so exciting. <laughs> um, but they called me, it was right at the end of uh, Game of Thrones and, and Avengers Endgame sort of wrapped everything up uh, right in the same week, I believe it was. Uh, I didn't sleep much around then. And uh 
Norton called me and they were like, do you want to write a book about Game of Thrones? And I said, no, thank you very much. I do not want to do that. Um, it was just too soon, too much to, I just need time. Maybe I'll write that eventually, but I just needed some time. And they were like, okay, well, what about this little Marvel thing that's happening? Do you want to do something about Marvel? And I was like, sure. Top of the world. At that point, before James Cameron re-released Avatar, biggest movie in the world, right? And something that I had been covering, I was working for Vanity Fair at the time, something I'd been covering for Vanity Fair, something I loved, I loved the movies. And I was just like, like you were saying, or like we were saying, I felt like I knew 85% of a lot of these stories and I wanted to fill in the gap of like what that extra 15% of like what did fully happen with Edgar Wright or I just like had all these little mysteries that I wanted to solve. So yeah, we came into writing about Marvel when it was top of the world and we had no reason to expect that that wouldn't stay the case for years and years and years to come. Even though we knew we, they, you know, Downey was leaving, Evans was leaving, all these major people were leaving, so they were definitely going to have a challenge of transition. But we didn't know how challenging it was going to be for them. Definitely didn't know the pandemic was going to hit. We definitely didn't know all this stuff was going to happen. But what's true, and we didn't know most instrumentally, we didn't know that Disney was going to block us trying to write this book, uh, which initially they said they wouldn't do, and then they decided they would do. So it all became a bit more difficult than we anticipated. And that's why it took us five years to do. Um, but I'm much, I'm so proud of what we wound up getting despite all of that, uh, over a hundred interviews, access to all the people that you want to hear from, like all of that's in there. But what isn't in there is like a need to suck up to Marvel, suck up to Disney since they weren't helping us. We're like, we have no need to help you. And we love Marvel. We love Disney. But like, there are some realistic stories in here that Disney doesn't necessarily want you to know about Marvel that I just think is important for understanding the full picture of this world that we've enjoyed. And then to your point, that back, like the back three or four chapters, which you haven't gone to yet, but you will eventually like um, that's, that's the very recent juice. And that is a, a really interesting story that we didn't know we were tackling when we started the book for sure. That actually, that's funny. My next question was actually that this says it advertises itself as the unauthorized story. Yeah. And uh, you guys make a note in the beginning of the book that Disney said, well, they started saying, well, don't talk to them. Yeah. Uh, and how I was, I was so interested to hear how, uh, how it must've gotten a little harder to get to, to find sources, to find the people to, to tell these stories. Yeah. You know, I was lucky that um, I was on the set of Avengers Endgame from uh, working on a cover story for Vanity Fair uh, several years ago. And while working on that story, it meant I got to talk to like all the main, all the main Avengers for a long period of time. Um, and Kevin Feige for several hours, like in his office, like that's not something that, you know, most of us get to do, uh, as you know, journalists covering Marvel, Kevin will give you like 10 minutes, maybe something like that. Um, but I got to talk to him for a really long time. And the way that magazine stories go is that, you know, you get to include like one, one or two sentences if you're lucky from any given interview. So I just had like hours and hours and hours of tape that hadn't been used at all. Um, so I knew that I had those interviews and Kevin had been very forthright about a lot of his process and all sort of stuff that didn't make it into the magazine story. So I knew that I had that. And then Disney said, listen, we're not going to like hold the door open for you, but we will not obstruct you from doing this. And I was like, okay, I like, before I signed the book contract, I made sure like Disney and I looked at each other and I was like, okay, we're going to, it's going to happen. Okay. And they're like, yeah, yeah. But then, um, you know, as, as diehard Marvel fans know, Marvel put out their own like a coffee table, two volume book a couple years ago. They had, they, what I heard behind the scenes is that they had been working on that book for a long time. They almost canceled it. That's when I was talking to them was when they almost canceled it because it had all these stories in it that they didn't want people to know. And instead of canceling it fully, they, you know, if you were tracking that book, you'll notice that the pub date kept like creeping and creeping and creeping. They didn't cancel it fully. They just took out all of that sort of like extra juicy. Maybe this doesn't make us look like perfect angels, uh, all those stories and talking to someone who was involved, not in the writing of, but sort of in the putting together of the book, they said, we knew those stories would come out eventually. And so I was like, okay, so those are the stories we want in our book. Right. But because they then decided to put out their own book, that's when they really got down to business, like obstructing us. And we just started to hear, we would reach out to people. They'd say, yeah, I'd love to talk to you. And then we'd hear back for them later. And they're like, 
I can't talk to you. Disney is very large and scary and I don't want to cross them. So um, one thing that I did wind up uh, as a workaround, there's a few workarounds for that. People can talk to you off the record, on background, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I was hosting a podcast or vanity fair at the time called Still Watching and we were covering a lot of the Marvel shows. And Disney did not want anyone to talk to me for the book, but they had no issue with anyone talking to me for the podcast. And so like, I, I won't like shout out who specifically, but one key person that we really wanted their voice in the book. Um, they emailed me and said, sorry, I can't talk to you. And then I got them through the podcast. And when they got on the podcast, they're like, I'm so glad you made, you figured out how to make this work, you know? And so it was just like using those interviews for the podcast, which was like, covering WandaVision, covering Falcon the Winter Soldier, covering Loki, like talking about those shows specifically, but then asking them bigger picture questions that I could then fill in the gaps of the book. Like well that. done. Yeah. Well done. So. <laughs> I, I could listen to you talking about that process for hours. Like that is so fascinating. Um, one thing that I've been really curious about is did your research change your personal perspective on any MCU projects? Like maybe you started appreciating it more now that you learned like how the sausage got made for that particular movie. Yeah, that's a great question. I think especially... When you look, when you read the book, you'll see that like a lot of the like sort of nitty gritty making of stories are in the early films. And part of that is like a a source reason because a lot of the people who were before Marvel sort of in their Marvel method started bringing everyone in house, right? So they like form their own design team or they lock people down, various contractors under long contracts and stuff like that you had independent contractors, you know, like the way that any studio runs. And it's just like, we're the production designer on this film or that film or the other. So those people who worked on those early films do not work for Marvel or Disney anymore. So I had no issue talking to us. So we have like so many, so many Iron Man people talk to us. So many Hulk people talk to us. So many Iron Man 2 people talk to us. Like all of that early stuff, Captain America, First Avenger, like hearing about Joe Johnston, like hiding in a secret office that he had his production team build when like the producers are coming to town and something like that, like fun stories like that. Um, but those first three, Iron Man, Hulk and Iron Man 2, I don't think I'll ever look at the same way again. Just like knowing about knowing how chaotic the Iron Man set was, how <laughs> improvisational, like how it's a miracle that that movie is good, great, dare I say. Um, Plausibility. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but also just like my fate, one of my favorite anecdotes in there is, is like because the script was so chaotic and they were basically like kind of rewriting it every day um, that Favreau was like, do we need the cave? Maybe we don't do the cave. And Michael Riva, the late great production designer who had already built the cave, was like, "We, we built the cave, man. Let's uh, we, should we just use the cave that we already have built?" And then, like, obviously, the cave. Tony Stark built this in a cave in a box of scraps, like iconic part of MCU, so iconic that the sound of the hammer closes out Avengers Endgame. You know what I mean? And imagine not having it. So stuff like that. But I would say to answer specifically your question, I would say Hulk is the one more than any other that I think of very differently because I didn't know all the details of the conflict with Edward Norton. I knew he was persona non grata at Marvel, like literally the only bridge they've ever burnt with anyone. They're like, just we didn't sure, but Edward Norton, no, like that's sort of where they are. Um, and so I don't know. I have like a grudging admiration for the movie that did emerge from again, a lot of chaos in the early days of the studio. Yeah. Man, this is so wild. Um, so in the same vein of that early Marvel output, one of the most interesting things that happens in the book is how like the stars kind of just kind of fell into place for phase one. It was driven by these ideas of like toys and merch and sequels, already yeah. making these as much as their predecessors, right? Yeah. How much has the business model changed? I know Dave put out a hilarious excerpt from the New York Times of them like Ike Perlmutter and some other executives sitting at Mar-a-Lago, like talking about, yeah. Why are you guys contracting other people to build your stuff? Just build your stuff in house. So how did we get to the point where they were building their own stuff? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, I just need to say that I really love your nails, and they're like oh. beautiful, enviable Barbie pink, and that is what I'm doing a Barbie thing for Halloween, as is the rest of the human population. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take like inspo from your nails. Um, the Mar-a-Lago conversation wild chapter in the book once upon a time at mar-a-lago which is like a chapter title i wrote down five years ago and i'm delighted like made it into the book but um that whole story with david mazel who is sort of an unsung hero of the early days of marvel 
it is in Marvel and Disney's interest to sort of mythologize Kevin Feige. So he's this like, and Kevin Feige is incredible as we detail in the book, like a, a brilliant genius, a creative genius. He didn't build the Marvel studios in a cave with a box of scraps. Like there are a lot of other important figures. And David Mazel is one that like history has kind of forgotten because he left Marvel after the Disney, he like brokered the Disney deal and then left. Uh, he's not like a camera forward kind of person. So I felt really lucky. I got to talk to him for several hours for this book. And that was like hugely instrumental in unlocking a lot of their thinking behind the scenes. And so to your point, because Marvel Entertainment run by Ike Perlmutter for much of this book, Ike got his start in the toy business. They were so toy minded early on that a character like Iron Man, uh, they decided that was their first go because kids responded well to the Iron Man toy in, you know, in, in studies that they had before they got going with the movie. So they're like, okay, we can sell a lot of Iron Man toys. Hulk is always a great seller for us. So we'll go with Hulk. Like that's how they planned out the first, you know, phase or so of the book of the, of the franchise. And um, I think that, as you watch in the book, Kevin Feige and his crew get more and more control of the studio and Ike and the East Coast contingent getting less and less control of the studio. That's when you start to see a pivot away from that toy forward mindset. Because, you know, when you're in the middle of the book and you hear Ike say or Ike and his lieutenant say stuff like, you know, we can't do Black Panther because Jesus. no one wants, you know, a Black Panther action figure. We can't. Uh, why is Black Widow in this movie? You know, why is Gamora here? Let's not make any toys for them because kids, you know, we're only catering to little boys and little boys won't buy this. Like all the stuff that we know to be untrue of the way in which people consume superhero movies. And you think about like Black Panther and Captain Marvel specifically, which came out, you know, in the, in the churn of Endgame and Infinity War, Captain Marvel makes over a billion dollars. You know, Black Panther is this seismic cultural moment and gets Marvel in the Oscars conversation. And if you're just thinking of it from a regressive toy only, my favorite phrase that someone used in here was pushing plastic, a pushing plastic point of view, then you're not getting those stories. And that's like, honestly, that is core to one of the reasons why I wanted to tell this story because and this is where I'm going to like get on my soapbox a little bit. I think it ma I think what our heroes are in these films really matter. And it really matters, especially to like the very young impressionable audiences that watch these movies. And so it matters to me, to you, to everyone listening that it's not just white guys named Chris who are the heroes in our films, much as we love various white guys named Chris. And I just wanted to explore and expose the people behind who makes those decisions. Some guy in New York, most people have never heard of, is making decisions about what our an entire generation of kids decides a hero can look like. And mm -hmm. that matters. Uh, I think a lot of times comic book movies, superhero movies get brushed aside as unimportant, but I think they're so important to these big ideas that we form uh, around heroism, mm -hmm. you know, it's bravery. It's interesting. I really like the quote in there as well about Kevin Feige saying, well, I'm pushing for this. I might not have my job. If I have my job tomorrow, then I won. I really appreciate that. Right. Um, it seems like Robert Downey Jr. was really the, 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 obviously the lightning bolt that lit the whole fire in a sense, because not only is he Iron Man, but behind the scenes, he seemed like a recruiter. Like, it seemed like he was the guy who was getting, he got Chris Evans on, he made the call. He, you know, it seems like he was the guy who really helped recruit talent, both actors and directors to get them involved with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. With Downey out of the picture, do you think Marvel still has that? Do, you, do they still have that central figure these days? Uh, n not on the actor side. I think Kevin also has a number of massive relationships. And for a time in the post-Endgame glow, uh, Marvel itself, like the brand itself could just speak for itself. And every A-list actor wanted a role in a Marvel movie, you know, and your Oscar winners and your whatever, like your cinematic legends. They're like, sure, put me in one of those Marvel movies. It's all anyone's watching these days. I want to be in one. I don't think that's necessarily the case today. I think they're in a, you know, you know, and they're not exactly going begging to get people in their movies. They still have plenty of people lining up to want to be in their movies, but I don't think it's, probably quite an easy yes as it maybe once was 
And um, I think they are, it's so funny because there's a part of me that doesn't want to say this because Downey is so convinced that he is like the main ingredient in the MCU. And I kind of want to be like, hold on, buddy. It's not just you, but in the absence of him, you're kind of like, well, maybe, maybe it is Downey. Someone was asking me the other day. They're like, who's, who's the most instrumental figure at the beginning? Is it like Feige? Is it Favreau? Is it Downey? Who do you have to have? I think probably it's Feige, but like Downey's a really close second and not to discount Favreau, who's amazing, but like Downey, who is very improvisational, so he is driving a lot of his own dialogue, is setting a tone that they followed. And you can just see echoes of Downey's sort of wry, zippy tone. And, and Whedon, Joss Whedon as a writer really matches that tone. So when he sort of shepherds phase two, it, it, it endures through that. It sets the whole thing up. And so that wasn't exactly what you're asking. You're asking as like a recruiter, a sort of ambassador. I I don't think they have a replacement. And I think that they had hoped that some of the people that they put in place, including Paul Rudd, Benedict Cumberbatch, the late great Chadwick Boseman, Brie Larson, et cetera, might step in and be that sort of on-screen and off-screen leader. But that has not been the case for a number of reasons. And I think most tragically uh, in Chadwick Boseman's case, I think they really thought centering T'Challa would be the roadmap forward. And then, you know, it's just, we're, we're missing that, you know, among other things. So kind of going off of that, um, we've debated this on the show at nauseum. Do you think Downey or Evans or any of the veterans of the franchise are going to come back at some point? I definitely think so, but I just want to make it very clear because <laughs> I've been seeing this on like Reddit elsewhere. I am not promising. No one at Marvel is doing this <laughs> happening. I'm not You're starting not any rumors that like right now. Old Man Cap is showing up in like New World Order or anything like that. Like I, I do not know that that's the case. I just know that historically this has been true in franchises or TV reboots where you have an actor who's like, that was an old period of my life. Never again goes off to do other things in their career and then sort of misses the glow of that original thing that they did that made them so famous. And they almost all wind up coming back at some point between Downey and Evans. Um, I, I would have said before I would have said Downey because once you get to the later chapters, you find out that like Downey didn't want, to be killed off an end game and was sort of like, no, thank you. Um, you would expect that he would be sort of one of the easiest calls to get him back. I mean, a, a lot of money, but like also a phone call. But Downey, I think, is about to win an Oscar for Oppenheimer. And so I think that changes the calculus a bit in terms of like how ready he is to be Tony Stark again. Evans, meanwhile, who was for so long uh, reluctant about being in the MCU has a string of, isn't it like three in a row, like rotten on rotten tomatoes movies that he's made. So just like, hasn't found as much success post knives out after the MCU that, you know, he might've expected coming off the high of, of how we felt about Steve Rogers. So if I had to, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I might put my (laughs) chips on Evans coming back. Um, and you know, Secret Wars is a really good opportunity for that. I'm not saying coming back to stay, but coming back to appear, you know, mm-hmm. I could see it happening. So, I hope so. I- right? <laughs> I, you know, again, okay. I'm delighted that we have not only white guys named Chris, but Chris Evans is my favorite white guy named Chris, and I white like, guys named Robert are okay too. <laughs> yeah, I miss. I miss Steve Rogers all the time. Can oh, I just say, like, as somebody who has a fiance who has a white guy named Chris, like that part in the book is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> like that has become a running joke in our house since I've started reading the book. Look at so how the F team shaped your life, Jenna. <laughs> I yeah. know. <laughs> exactly. They tried to activate you like this Winter Soldier. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> we got an excerpt from the book that's been making the rounds lately about Brie Larson becoming disillusioned with Marvel work yeah. after the backlash from fans after Captain Marvel. I'm sure it's something that Moses Brown and all these other actors, Kelly Marie Tron, Ectic can kind of co-sign on. Um, do you think that she's feeling a little bit of regret, or do you think what happened with it? Other than is it just the the negative online stuff, or is there other things too? Well, it's interesting because, and to be very clear, the main source of that is something Brie herself said right. at 
I believe it was D23, where she was like, does anyone, I don't know, does anyone want me to come back as Carol Danvers? Oh, I remember that clip. Yeah, if you watch that that clip, like there's so much, you know, she's being, she's smiling, but there's like just this like resentment in her voice. And when you compare that to, do you remember when Captain Marvel came out and Brie would like go to the multiplex, like in her like Carol Danvers tracksuit and like she was so excited to be part of mm-hmm. the MCU. So I do think it's the fandom backlash. I think that's the biggest part of it. Um, because, you know, her first movie was, again, very financially successful. Uh, I think people dollars. misremember Captain Marvel as a flop, which it wasn't. There no. was that sort of vocal minority like fandom backlash, but like it made a ton of money was actually, you know, successful and popular with a lot of people. So like people misremember that movie, but then to be fair, what has the MCU really done with Carol Danvers since, you know, like she shows up to punch a hole in a spaceship, which is delightful and say like, Hey, Peter Parker, but like we haven't really used her. That part of that is them writing themselves into a corner of needing to explain her absence for so long because they, you know, gave her origin in the 90s. So then they're like, just like, JK, Carol Danvers is off world. Don't worry about it. She's gone, you know? And so they they put her on ice for a long period of time. And I'm I I do not anticipate that the Marvels is gonna make a lot of money. It's tracking to not make a lot of money. I do not necessarily anticipate that it's going to be a huge hit critically because critics are very uh, salty about Marvel right now and really quick to not give any benefit of the doubt. I think you saw that with like early reactions to Loki. I'm not saying that critics are lying. They're giving their honest, but they're not like, oh, let's wait and see. They're not feeling that way about Marvel right now. Um, But so I don't, I don't think, I think the Marvels is going to continue to paint that like, Marvel isn't doing very well narrative, mm-hmm. but I personally am quite excited for it. Cause That's I think right. it looks really mm-hmm. fun. I think Brie looks like, I think they did something really smart by pairing her with like Amavalani. And um, I think that sort of like effervescent fangirl energy plus Carol sort of stoicism is like really what you needed to unlock the humor of that character. Cause I don't mind a stoic character. You just need that stoic character to be paired with something you need. You need the Mandalorian to be with Grogu. You can't, but when you put the Mandalorian with like Bo-Katan, you're just like two stoic people. I need, where's my levity? Where's my cute, like whatever. So I'm excited for the Marvels. If, if the Marvels winds up being like a fandom hit, like if people are like, actually this is really fun. Like I can, I can see Brie wanting to do more of that in the future, but I actually, I don't know. I think it would take a lot at this point because she felt pretty burnt. And who, I mean, who can blame her? We've all seen like what happened. So, yeah. I've got to say though, Joe, I was at Avengers Campus like two weeks ago. If she doesn't want to be Captain Marvel, they got a problem. They had a lot of little Carol Danvers, a lot of little Kamala Khan's running around. You can't not have her. I know. Yeah. I agree. Um, But, uh, but uh, like, but they could just easily be like, She's gone back to space again. Yeah, that's oh man. I it's gonna be interesting to see if any of these, if any actors say we don't want to come back or they don't like the story and they end up recast. Like it's hard to imagine a character as big as Captain Marvel being recast or just shelved in either way. Uh, but I guess right and now to we're be in- very clear, like. I don't want her to. I no, like oh, sure, no. And I know you're not saying that. I'm just like, again, I yeah. just should not read Reddit right now. But like I've seen on Reddit, people are like, how dare this book like say Brie Larson shouldn't be Carol Danvers. I was like, where? Show me where we said no, that. I, I love like, her well, and I like quite support her. So yeah, yeah. no, I think you guys are, it, it's, it, it's so interesting reading the book, which again, we're promoting MCU, the reign of Marvel studios. If you're just joining the book is fantastic. Uh, Joanna Robinson wrote this book. We've just a couple, I know we got to let you go. We have a couple questions left for you that we just want to ask you, Of course, but it is, I, I have to say this book is so refreshing because you guys don't have a dog in the fight. There's really no imp- opinion injected into this. You guys recount what happened really fairly at least from in my experience in reading it and in, in talking back now, it seems like you're just recounting these things and occasionally you'll tell us, but, uh, but I, I want to say, this is my, when you yeah. your opinion, you clarify. And I appreciate that. And I, I understand why you feel the need to do that too. Um, 
but yeah, the the cap. I, I hope the Marvels is good. Um, it's interesting. Hey. They're not they're not screening the movie before the junket. They are not. Oh, you guys. Oh no. So, I know. Like the first screening they're doing is. I mean, I'm worried. My my screening is the Tuesday, and it comes out Thursday. Junket right? two days before that. Yeah, and they haven't done that since Endgame. Do you remember that they showed us like <laughs> ten minutes of footage for Endgame, and it's just like nebula and tony stark playing football in space and we're just sort of like what's what's this movie about and every every person we interviewed at that junket was like i don't know what is this movie about we're like great um it's not a good sign it's not a good sign to not screen the movie before the junket it's not a good sign to only screen the movie to press a couple days before release that is what you do when you have a movie that you're worried about people liking so um i'm worried but i am hopeful and every trailer i've seen has been like extremely delightful so i don't know i hope it's great fingers crossed we're all gonna watch it so hopefully we all enjoy it yeah. you know we're all marvel fans and it's just at least varying degrees and i i i, I hope it's good um, you want okay. this to be good isn't it yeah. better when everyone yes yes a hundred percent um okay i have to add guardians of the galaxy if there was one movie i could watch for the first time again it's probably guardians of the galaxy maybe avengers endgame but probably guardians of the galaxy I want to live in a timeline where Nicole Perlman's first idea gets through because I'm a huge Nova fan. Yes. <laughs> so I saw that you guys included that. James has since said uh, that Nova was never in his script. I know you detail the kind of arguments that Nicole and James had about writer credits. Yeah. Uh, Nicole ended up getting a credit. The earliest version of this script she had, it seems Nova was the the lead character in Guardians of the Galaxy. And then by the time the script got to James, she had changed it to Peter Quill. Right. As as somebody who 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 lives off of the tiniest little crumbs about Nova, uh, I have to ask: when you dug into that, what kind, did you hear anything about my boy I'm Richard so, Ryder? I'm so sorry that I don't have Nova details for you. <laughs> but oh, I, no, but I will say talking to the screenwriters was one of them. I I got to talk to almost every screenwriter, and that was one of the most interesting avenues to go down i like knew some like i knew nicole a little bit and i knew zach a little like i knew some of these people a little bit so that was helpful place to kind of start but i didn't know how tough these writer arbitrations were that hit like almost every single project the james and nicole conflict is i think the one that spilled the most into sort of main because i remember being aware of it at the time but you know Zach Penn and Joss Whedon, Zach Penn mm-hmm. and Edward Norton. Like it just like it happens again and again. And I was going back through the transcript because like one of the screenwriters DM'd me the other day. I won't say which. I was like, was that on the record that I said that to you? And I was like, oh God, was it? And I looked at his transcript and I sent it back to him. I was like, I word searched off the record. I don't find it anywhere in here. And he's like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Just wanted to check. I was like, yeah. But um yeah, uh, reading further into his transcript, there's a part that I didn't include in the book where he said, basically, if you weren't friends with a director, you were going to have to fight for credit. And that was true of like everyone. And you see that that sort of mentality a bit spill over into kind of the early days of TV on Disney Plus, where if you didn't have harmony between the head writers, because as you know, if people read in this book or read in the THR article about Daredevil that came out last week, we can have to go um, that they don't have showrunners on Disney plus shows mm-hmm. like normal TV. They have a position called head writer and the head writer will often get put out to pasture at a certain point in the process because they were treating film like they were treating TV like film and they would hand the scripts over to the director. That's not how TV is traditionally made. That's how they tried to do it initially. And they were like, Oh, oops, maybe the system that was in place was there for a reason. So let's do it differently. Um, but when you had a writer or director working in harmony, like Jack Schaefer and Matt Shackman on WandaVision, where they like were working together towards the end goal. I think that's where you get some of the tightest results is when you get something like that. But when it becomes this creative battle, then mm-hmm. the work suffers, as we see with some of the other uh, Marvel shows that haven't felt as even or strong throughout. You know, mm-hmm. so I find that interesting. I mean, it's interesting how some of these the the writers originally like they'd get a credit because even though their dialogue and some things didn't make it in the the, the concept art and all right. the production stuff, they just started moving before they even finished the scripts. So like, oh. okay, well you have to give this person credit because totally. they did inspire it at least you know in parts that you used. Speak, I, I mean. Things are constantly changing over there. It sounds like, especially yeah. nowadays when they're doing a hundred projects a week, uh, and they but they announced a whole bunch of stuff 
Yeah. So as things shift around and these sort of changes keep happening in Marvel Studios, given everything you've learned, everything you've seen about the history, the present, and potentially the future, how, like, based on the Comic-Con, we've already seen changes. Based on what we know yeah. now, we're already seeing changes. The strikes, the pandemic, the results within within viewership and critics. How different do you think, ultimately, by the time we get to 2027, Marvel's plan is going to end up being from kind of what they announced it to be at first? Well, I think what's, you know, we get to this a little later in the book, but what's true about... Oh God, was it 2020? I think it was 2020 or 2021. I think it was 2020. Um, there was that like Disney plus investor, Disney mm -hmm. investor day mm -hmm. presentation where both Kathy Kennedy and Kevin Feige had to go out and announce a bunch of projects, neither of whom wanted to announce all of those projects because oh, those God. projects weren't ready. Um, but they were pushed to by Disney because the investors were getting nervous and they wanted to be like, look, we have all these cool things coming. So Feige, who had been so careful to not announce until he was ready, and you see that still to this day where he's like, no, I don't have any X-Men news. You know, like, we're not ready. Had to announce a bunch of stuff he wasn't ready to announce because Disney made him. And so that's part of it, in addition to all the other factors that you mentioned. I think we're going to see something wildly different. I mean, uh, today Jonathan Majors is going back, uh, is going into court. So we don't know what's going to happen with all of that, but that is, you know, you look at that Kang Dynasty title on the on the timeline, and you're like, what What are they going to do? I, I don't know. They don't know. They're in a wait and see spot, which is not what where they like to be. They like to have their plans several years out and feel like they're way ahead of the ball, but they are behind the ball in a lot of cases now. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that fully answered your question, but that's it's, it's kind of an unanswerable question, I yeah. guess, yeah. in some degree. But I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. the, your thoughts on that. Um, so as we wind down, because uh, we know we, we we could sit here and talk to you all day. I know I do. I, this might have to be my last question, actually, because I yeah. do have to go. I'm so sorry. But okay. Thank you. So after Secret Wars, do you foresee a reboot coming? Because there is whispers on the internet, of course, yeah. and everybody aggregates you out of context on Reddit and other places. Love that for me. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, that'll teach you to, I don't know, say anything in New York Comic Con. Um, in my opinion. Okay. But not based on any promise that anyone at Marvel has ever made me. It seems like... Secret Wars is ample opportunity for a soft reboot. Does it not? If you know the comic book, then like mm -hmm. you're like, here's where they could do it. Here's where they could just sort of snip away what's not working, bring back some things that they got rid of that they, you know, that we missed too much and just settle, you know, and bring in uh, here come the X-Men, you know, and here, here's what's happening with Fantastic Four and all of that and just sort of recalibrate um, that expand, 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 expand mentality that was impressed upon them by Bob Iger and Bob Chapek at Disney. They're in this sort of retrench, retract, focus back in on what's working. And Secret Wars is, again, in my opinion, a great <laughs> opportunity for something like that. So. Reboot confirmed. You heard yeah, it. Joanna Robinson promises that Chris Evans promises. is coming back. Yeah. <laughs> reputation on the line. Yeah, exactly. Joanna, yeah. you're an absolute rock star. Congratulations on this book. Everybody listening, everybody watching, I promise you, MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios. What we just talked about is a fraction of how interesting this book is. I really appreciate the time. I can't wait until you guys get to option this thing into like a Fableman's type story about Ooh. Kevin Feige. Uh, and I will fight for your writing credit if I can in any way on that movie. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, but you guys are really awesome with this book. And thank you so much for the time, Joanna. I know you're doing, uh, you have more interviews you're going to do, which is awesome. It's pretty cool to see you on this side of the interview. Uh, and you're killing it. And you, this isn't your first time doing it, too. You've been doing the even that's for a while. You've been profiled and all kinds of incredible stuff because your work is so good and you're that damn good. Joanna, you're a legend. Thank you so much for joining us on Face Thank Zero. you. Thanks all. Bye. Bye. All right, y'all, we are going to take a one-minute break. When we come back, we're going to catch our breath from that interview at Deadpool 3. Kevin Feige and Simuliu out for the season. All right, see you in a moment. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to Phase Zero. That was an incredible interview. Huge thanks to Joanna Robinson for joining us on Phase Zero. Uh, apologies, we did keep her a little bit longer than we said we were going to. We had so many questions written down. I was kind of cutting them in our in our rundown throughout, but uh, that was just so – she's so insightful. Clearly just in- incredible depth of knowledge about the history of Marvel Studios. And not only did you hear that, but everybody who's read the book. I mean, me and Jenna are getting through right now. Aaron, I think you're getting through it right now. This this Like, look at my notes. This thing is – I'm going to make a video for the Phase Zero channel um just about like probably i'll pick 10 of the most interesting things and i'll make a video about that uh but i still haven't finished the book because there's so much to learn about the mcu in that book i'm gushing about it because i'm genuine i'm i'll I'll say this i'll admit this i have trouble reading i i do no i do i i I i'm very capable of reading i can understand words i don't like i i don't have trouble reading words but my attention span when i read whether it's a comic book whether it's a novel whether it's anything I have a lot of trouble staying focused. And mm-hmm. since I've picked up this book, I'll tell you right now, I have had no trouble staying focused. I am so interested in this book. I'm able to sit down for a couple hours at a time and read this thing without any problem. In my entire life, I've had I've had this, this problem where I sit there and I, ha- I, I have trouble staying focused. I'll be reading and then all of a sudden I'll be thinking about literally anything else. And I'll have to go back and reread an entire page and then I just give up. Uh, and it's not TikTok brain, Mushfikar, because this has been happening to me my entire <laughs> life. And this book has captured my attention in a way that a book has not in a very long time. Uh, and it's very interesting. Anyway, yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. It was really so good. much fun. Oh, uh, man. She, she should come on the show every week. <laughs> Pick one thing out of a hat from the book for the rest of the year. She just talks about <laughs> chapter it. By chapter by chapter. We just break chapter everything chapter. down. Yeah. We do have some bad news. We do. News oh. we already knew was coming, though. So we, are, we prepared ourselves. Oh, Deadpool 3 is delayed. Oh. I feel very vindicated. I just need to say that right now as somebody who was saying that this felt inevitable for the past like three weeks of the show. I there there was no way that they were going to be able to film the half of the movie that Sean Levy says they still have to film and start a marketing campaign and do post-production and everything, even if the strike got solved tomorrow. It feels logistically impossible. So I I'm not shocked at all. I'm just happy that they confirmed it at this point. I mean, there was only so many more weeks you could hold out, you know, like, like Jenna said, it literally, if like right now, like Jim kicked in the door of Brandon's room was like, yo, Deadpool 3 is back. Like, uh, it, it would not be done in time for its release date. One thing that is interesting, I guess, for us at the site where I wrote about this and it got speculated in the deadline and THR pieces as well is that will they just flip Captain America Brave New World into the slot? And I think Marvel's going to try and do everything in its power to try and move Captain America 4 into that slot so that they don't lose out of that first weekend in May. The There are articles today about stuff in 2024 moving to 2025 because of this strike. So you best believe Kevin Feige uh, is, is out here like Anthony Mackie, uh, you know, your boy, if he can lift his arms, don't go too far. Don't go too far. <laughs> That's, I mean, here's, we, I, I know, I won't say we, I know I have spent a lot of time on the show saying I want them to slow down. I think we're getting a little too much content that is, I, I do agree that superhero fatigue can be a thing. And I agree quality is a factor in that. But I think that we've gotten, I mean, you look at 2021, it was four movies and five shows. Which, for the sake of our podcast and just general oh, entertainment, that's a lot of fun. But it's also a lot. And mm-hmm. it starts to feel, to some people, like homework. Starts to feel like a chore to have to watch something to understand. It used to feel like in a, every single release felt like an event. And now it started to feel a bit like, oh, I ha- oh my gosh, I have to watch this. There's 50 hours in two years. Oh, my God. So I see the sides of the argument that complain about it because I partially agree that there has been too much. That said, I, I need there to be at least two movies next year. <laughs> what? You, you get Craven. Craven no, one of the don't two. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> I'm just saying categorically. Let me, let me, let me clarify. I need two Marvel, Marvel Studios, Studios movies, movies next year. Craven yeah. is going to be a, it's going to be one of the most movies of all time. 
I Listen, mean. as a DC fan who basically all of 2024, all I know we're getting is Joker 2 and I don't know anything else beyond that. That's I'm true. like, I, I'll take what I can get at this point. If Marvel ends up having one of those years, we're still going to get something. But if it mm-hmm. ends up being where Craven is one of two or three movies we get in the year, I won't be shocked. Man. I mean, I okay. Let's think about this for a second because like you'll get Echo. You'll get Echo's dropping January, right? Yeah, that, so that technically counts. Okay. Is there any other shows coming out next year that we already know are supposed to come out besides Daredevil? Ironheart is punted to like 2043. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I that know. and Agatha. Agatha comes out in 2024 fall, right? Maybe. That's I, what I it's thought. It's hard to keep track of. I know What If Season 2, and then the chat reminded us that Madam Web exists, so Aaron and I can be very excited I mean, about we, Madam we Web. excited. Brandon's yeah. like, what the Please heck? Please let Madam Web be good. Please, I beg. Jenna, oh, we're supposed okay. to get into the Spider-Verse Part 2, right? Oh, that's not happening. No. Uh, <laughs> what's going to come first, Ironheart or the final of the Spider Verse trilogy? I mean, Ironheart. Ironheart's technically already filmed, so I'd hope so. But Ironheart. You know. <laughs> I was going to ask Brandon: Is there what's any way the Craven movie? Forecast? What is the Craven movie even going to be better than the Craven storyline in Marvel Spider Man Two? Based on what I've heard from people who play the game, absolutely not. Okay. Like I've I've heard that if we were in the universe where that movie and the game came out within a week of each other, it would have like the fan would have exploded. It would have been oh. two completely different takes oh, on Craven. No. I man, I like Aaron Taylor Johnson. I like Craven as a character, and J C Shandor's made some pretty good movies, right? That's J C Shandor movie. It is. But. <laughs> <laughs> Will it be good? I just uh, I need a supercut of all of the times we've talked about Craven and, and then like we just play it at the beginning of our Craven spoiler episode, just like hyping everyone up for all of the ways we've talked about this movie. I'll tell you what, I was Morbius Defender number one before that movie released because Morbius released a good trailer. Okay. I thought the Morbius trailers were good, and I was like, you know what? Morbius might have something here. And then we got Milo dancing in the mirror. And we got Craven controlling the bats and just Art Craven, Morbius controlling the bats. If Craven controls bats, we got a real problem. <laughs> but no, li- listen, I'm going to go into Craven excited and open minded. And, ho- and I don't know if I'm going to be optimistic, but I'm going to be open minded. I want that movie to be good. The trailers look okay. It's R rated. They're doing something different. I appreciate that, that they're taking a chance. It has a lot of the right pieces in place, but I do think it's going to be one of those where it's like you kind of lost the key parts of the character in this one. And. We'll see. We'll see. Um, the ca- the canon debate has raged on. Oof. Dude, what is the, I, I, I don't know, even know what how to take this. I'll read the quote. Another book released, Marvel Studios, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, an official timeline. Uh, this is Disney and Marvel oriented, which, as Joanna pointed out, that means the narrative could be a little bit controlled, a little bit you know particular. Uh, but so Kevin Feige wrote the foreword on this book. And in that, this quote has gone viral talking about the canon of Marvel Studios, Marvel TV, Marvel movies by Sony and Fox. Quote, on the multiverse note, we recognize that there are stories, movies and series that are canonical to Marvel, but were created by different storytellers during different periods of Marvel's history. The timeline presented in this book is specific to the MCU's sacred timeline through phase four. But as we move forward and dive deeper into the multiverse saga, you never know when timelines may just crash or converge. Hint, hint, spoiler alert. Okay. So like this kind of this this in no way tells us if the Daredevil series from Netflix is canon, but it does seem to imply that all these Marvel universes that have existed in different live action mediums and potentially animated and maybe even Lego, which we're going to see on Friday, are going to end up colliding, and we'll see incursions and universes being destroyed. That's what that's my takeaway. I definitely interpret it that way too of like, this is them giving an easy way to fold any Marvel adaptation at all into secret wars and people won't bat an eye. Um, I also, I talked to Jamie about the Ages of shield of it all. And like, it's very interesting with that because that show in and of itself probably can exist on the secret timeline based on where the show goes in later seasons. But it's weird having this definitive thing that now tells you what may or may not even be included. So. Yeah. I mean, there's an entire Disney ride planned for Avengers Campus where all of the Avengers from everywhere fight King Thanos in a timeline where Thanos won. And it, I mean, when I say it has everybody in there, I'm talking about Miles Morales is in that shot that they put in the concept art. Like one of the Lego Avengers, like Brandon is saying, is in there. All kinds of weird stuff. So 
the fact that that stuff's in the pipeline, the fact that they won't answer any questions about Daredevil, the fact that there's all these hilarious rumors that Sean Levy cannot help but pour gasoline on about Deadpool 3 makes me think that, yes, we're going to pick and choose exactly what we want. And if it, even if it's just for a five-second, woo, cool, during uh, <laughs> Secret Wars, which I have no problem with. I, man, I... T- <laughs> This is just my fantasy right here. Like I, I have wanted to see this since I was a kid. Movies about superheroes are what introduced me to comics. And so I, I it's no secret. I love the movies. I read a lot of the comics. As I said, I do have trouble sometimes staying focused. But I especially nowadays read comics to prepare for upcoming films. That's mostly how my comic decisions are made, especially when I'm traveling out to sets or junkets. I will pick up as many books as I can, read them on the planes, educate myself, do as much research and get to know these characters that way. Uh, so I grew up a huge movie fan and animated series fan, X-Men, the animated series. So every, I, I loved the X-Men. For, well, first, I loved Ang Lee's Hope. I'm not going to hear I'm not here to lie to anybody. I love movies like that. I love the Punisher movies back then. I loved anything I could watch back then. Fantastic Four. But immediately, I wanted to see the X-Men from that time interact with the Avengers of, of the Infinity Saga. My, my, I just want to see those characters on the screen together. I want to see Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, Chris Evans, Captain America, Sam uh, Wilson, Captain America, all these characters, Scarlett Johansson, Bruce Banner, but nah, I don't need Eric Banner to come back. That's fine. But uh, we could keep, we don't need all that. But then I want to see Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry and uh, all the people in Patrick Stewart, all those people from that. I just want to see them on screen together. That would be so damn cool. I don't think that's all going to happen, but an Avengers vs. X-Men movie that, that slightly improves that comic book story uh, for, even if it's just kind of an underlying thread in secret wars where we maybe even have like an X-Men universe versus a, uh, an MCU universe. I don't know how you organically get Iron Man into that and, and Steve Rogers. I know Anthony Mackie's cap is obviously going to be there. I just want to see the whole gang on one side versus the whole gang on the other. I don't know. I just I feel like that's a little lofty and and it might be wishful thinking at this point, though. See, at this point, I feel like I would be shocked if that's not what Secret Wars is. I don't you know. Again, everybody increasingly over time i feel like like especially the way that feige words this little expert i feel like it's like he's they they are kind of laying the groundwork to do that and they know we know from no way home that they can do that and it can be effective so i've absolutely been convinced that like secret wars is going to lean into it the question will be what they are able to lean into and how much and if it becomes overkill but i absolutely think that that's going to be a component of the movie Secret Wars is absolutely not topping Endgame at the box office if they don't get most of those people back. Yes. That's That's, and you look at Across the Spider-Verse and the levels of creativity that went into that film, Marvel has to raise the bar on their ideas for multiverse storytelling because that is the gold standard now. And it is a standard that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it halfway, almost halfway through its multiverse saga, hasn't even touched. Mm-hmm. We turned Doctor Strange to paint and gave him a free slice of pizza that he ended up paying for. So... I just think the the multiverse storytelling has been defined by Across the Spider-Verse in a time where Marvel Studios, you would have expected them to have built it more. I think they got to be creative and I think they got to pull out that every dumb truck full of cash has to be has to be backed into the right actors driveways. I mean, in a perfect and this is just spitballing because I know we got to talk about but like. I would wish if you are going to slow down and you're only going to make two movies and you're not going to do shows anymore, there's no excuse for all these things not to have at least multiple of those people in each one. There's no excuse. If we're not spending that kind of money on five projects anymore, that's what I would see. I don't care. Like all your quality stuff, that's here or there. Go get me random Reese Ifans lizard talking to the guy who played the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards, in one of these things as they're trying to explain to our dumb heroes, hey, there's something really bad about to happen. There's a cloud that's eating people. It's not good. You broke BD. I get <laughs> it. The cloud is eating people. I understood that reference. Oh, man. As a kid, I loved that shit, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, Simuli Yu. Oh, my gosh. Our boy. Friends of the show. Shang-Chi. This man likes basketball too much. Well, too much. <laughs> now, we don't know how this happened. We could assume, though, because he's always playing ball. Simuliu out for the season with torn Achilles. The Avengers are cooked, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. Uh-huh. Thank goodness. 
the preseason leading up to Avengers the Kang Dynasty has been rough. It really has. Uh, Simu Liu, they're not currently working on Shang-Chi 2. If they were, this probably would have been avoided. But he tore his Achilles, which in sports terms keeps you out of the game for six months to a year. For an actor, I assume you can get back to set a little bit earlier than a football player on the field. Uh, but maybe he can get in touch with Aaron Rodgers' doctors because that dude is already freaking, I don't know, <laughs> doing backflips faster than anybody who's ever had a torn Achilles. But I don't know. I think he like needs forces or something like raw while they're still alive. But yeah, uh, it, it, poor Simu. That was the news. Uh, that's the Marvel news of the week, basically. I, I'm so like, they are so lucky that they are conceivably not starting on a movie that he would need to be in in the foreseeable future. Like, even if the strikes get over immediately and they can start on something, he at least gets to go through physical therapy a little bit before he has to be doing mm. stunts in an Avengers movie or something. Because, like, if not, God, that would be such a nightmare. I bet you he wouldn't be playing no pickup basketball if we were filming King Dynasty right now. I know yeah. that. If I was a producer, I'd be like, you need to sit in a room with padding. Nothing else could go wrong. <laughs> Nothing. I th- I mean, for athletes, that's like a clause in yeah. contracts. You can't yeah. play basketball in your driveway with your kids if you're a professional <laughs> athlete. That's okay. that's no joke. Like, Because yeah. that's millions of dollars that they've invested in you. And you go out there, you play some hoops, and you, t- you blow your MCL just – out trying to block your three foot tall son. <laughs> <laughs> that just cost the league a zillion dollars in TV ratings because their star isn't playing. That's why all the quarterbacks get a flag for everything because they got to protect the valuable players. I don't know if actors can have those contract those clauses in their contracts. I think they got to be able to live offset a little bit, but uh, not quite the same. But yeah, so I think by the time hopefully Shang Chi two or Avengers Kang Dynasty is ready to start filming, which it seems like the soonest would be the spring of twenty four. Simu will have that six-month period of recovery. I imagine possibly a surgery. I don't know. We don't know. This is all speculation. Uh, we are not the Adam Schefter of actor injuries. But uh, it's it's crazy to think that this is getting reported on and that Simu had to deal with that. But uh, we wish him the best. We hope he recovers well. Um, Aaron, you're muted. Oh, I am? Oh, were you talking? I was. I was. Now, now I am. Silently. No, I really am. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that... <laughs> Like the sports thing that you brought up is very interesting as long as we're talking about that stuff too. This weird THR article that I uh, sent Brandon where basically you have just this morning, Apple announced they're raising their prices along with Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Peacock. Can I do all of them? Prime Video. Max. You just named one hundred and twenty dollars a month. That's like it's like yeah. I just ordered the really great cable subscription my grandparents had when we were kids. Um, <laughs> But the, everywhere else, the ad revenue has been down. And there was an article in THR that the ad revenue was up in sporting instead, like in direct contrast to everywhere else. And when we talked about the monoculture thing last week or two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was really upset. I was like, man, it really does feel like that you really need these things to be in prime time when everybody's watching for any of this stuff to work. Yeah. So I thought it was really funny after we had talked about Look at Brandon. <laughs> Wild note. Sing it. Sing it. <laughs> that was exactly what we said. You sent me that article. I was like, that was exactly what we said. Like the studios are shooting themselves in the foot every day. They're making decisions that's costing themselves money. The streaming era was a mistake, especially for the damn studios. Not only are we tired of paying for a new streaming service every week or getting the prices raised, Apple TV just went up to $9.99 a month today. Netflix is going up to $69.99. Nice. Uh, that's not a real number, but I just had to work it in for the sake of an Aaron reference. Uh, I mean, it, 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 but they're cutting out. Like in doing that, they're like, you. Oh, makes me <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> because you used to, but uh, streaming should be something we enjoy. Because it's fifteen dollars a month, you get the entire library of all time for this mm-hmm. studio. You know, you pay whatever hundred dollars a month, you have five studios, entire libraries. It used to be you walk into Walmart, Target, Best Buy, your local video store, or even Blockbuster back in the day, but you weren't buying stuff there. But it'll cost you thirty dollars, maybe twenty dollars, to buy one title, and that was such a big revenue stream for the studios to pay people to make the next project to justify a sequel. And now they don't get that. They cut that out of their own thing. And now they don't even get money from sending it to TNT or TBS a few months later because nobody's watching linear broadcast. It's all on streaming. 
They're only watching sports. They're only watching live events. WWE is the only thing I tune into live in NFL on Sundays. I don't watch college football anymore because South Carolina, not a great team, but I won't shit on them too hard because I still want you all, if you're athletes, go play for Shane Beamer. That said, uh, I'm, I'm pissed. At all. I, I don't even know why I'm mad. I just know I worked myself into an angry corner here and I can't get out of it. This is Jenna. BD's network. This is the monologue at the end of network. This is absolutely it. <laughs> What were you going to say, Aaron? I was going to say, do you have any opinion on this stuff? Because the funny thing is, over in your world, too, all these people have noticed, hey, Taylor Swift did all this box office with none of the studio help at uh -huh. all. I do think, just writ large, I think we are at kind of a reckoning for the way that this the distribution system is going to change. And I think, again, like as someone who also watches NFL, I think that 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 is a huge marketing thing. And I completely understand how that is the closest thing we have to the monoculture right now, because everything else is so segmented otherwise. Like, I don't even watch, I watch The Bachelor. I don't even get to watch it live anymore because it airs on Thursdays and we have other things going on on Thursdays. Right. So it's like the the opportunity to have a collective event and have people collectively sit and watch something is so rare and so it is completely unsurprising that sports are the thing that's excelling here mm -hmm. we had we had a mini freak out in the phase zero channel because what certain things that are coming up might have interfered with the loki finale because it's yeah. at 7 p.m on a on a thursday yeah we were like oh my god no like we can't and i'm like this is so weird like that we have to worry about you know the conflicts it used to be just like no one else would be doing anything either like the oscars rolling or the vmas or whatever you know even just normal tv like brandon said i've never seen like used to walk through the neighborhood downtown in cleveland on a sunday night during game of thrones and you could hear mm -hmm. like dogs five yards like five <laughs> blocks away because everybody's just silent it's outside it's like the walking dead. You couldn't see anybody. No one's doing anything but watching their TVs. And it just isn't that right. I now. remember the last version of that was a video of like The Last of Us when it was airing. And it was like an apartment building. And you could see all of the lights flicker at the same exact time across like 12 apartment buildings because they were all watching the same episode at the same time. But it's like it's so rare to have those moments anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember The Sopranos when that ended. And I'm from New Jersey, so everybody was watching that when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> While we all walked outside, I thought the cable went out. <laughs> Turns out, what, nope. what happened? <laughs> Turns out, I, 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 I just thought I sat on the remote. Oh. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, that's our phase year for the day. What, a, what an awesome show this was. MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. Uh, I suggest picking it up if you have the means to get this book. Okay. It's in audiobook form. Uh, it is available at your local bookstore. Highly recommend supporting your local bookstores. Uh, it's it's really a good book. Uh, if you can't pick it up, I'll have some. Uh, there's no way to cover this entire book. The book does it, but I promise I will have a video coming to the YouTube channel where once I finally finish this book, which I imagine is going to take me another week or so, because I've been reading it really fast to get ready for today. But I also want to pick because I'm really enjoying the book. Mm -hmm. uh, I will have a video. I'll get with Jen. I'll get with Aaron. We'll talk about this. What we think are the ten most interesting things. Uh, in this book, whether it, and that can range from the fact that it wasn't Kevin Feige who put Thanos at the end of the Avengers. It was Joss Whedon's idea just to have a guy behind the curtain for who uh, was responsible for Loki's army. And then that all became something much bigger. That wasn't the plan right then when they you know put that in. That was a late addition, and it was all Joss Whedon's idea. And then Kevin kind of sees those and works them in. And how Easter eggs come to be, and all that kind of stuff, and the, the the true story about Ed Norton getting recast. It's all it's so damn interesting. So I highly recommend the book. Um, and we will be back tomorrow night for Loki episode four. Oh, this is the one you don't want to miss, people. Loki episode four. This is the one. This is the episode. Unless five and six top it somehow, but for now, I was gonna say five and six might be crazier. So woo, I, ooh, I can't what wait. What the heck happened? What are y'all talking about? <laughs> wait, wait, when Batman shows up, you're gonna go crazy. You made that joke like three times in Slack, and it is funny every single time. Maybe it's maybe I'm maybe Batman really does show up. Who knows? Dom, Dominic Toretto swings in. <laughs> David Zaslav, he might be making deals out here. Uh, yeah, episode four of Logan's going to be a good one. We will be live immediately after the episode tomorrow night on the Phase Zero YouTube channel, also on all major podcast platforms. And then we'll have a bonus episode on Friday. Going to be interesting to see how this one performs, how the audience responds. It's about Lego Marvel Avengers Code Red. It's a, a mini movie thing coming to Disney+. Plus. Honestly, I'm not even entirely sure what this is yet. I haven't done too much research on it. I'm just kind of going to go in and enjoy it, do a little breakdown, write some notes, and then come on here and talk with everybody about it. We're doing that, I believe, at 4 p.m. Eastern time on friday if you want to catch it live 
otherwise you know the show is always available later uh and that's that's our plans right now we're gonna have the marvel's bonus episode november 10th that's my spiel aaron you got any last words for today's episode uh, of Bureau? it's at summer lake horner on twitter um delightful today i love she's so smart freaking joe she's so freaking smart um i also want to say use my time to say rest in peace to richard roundtree mm-hmm. uh legend of screen you know from he's in roots Chorus is in Shaft. You saw Samuel Jackson had a really, really nice thing to say about the man who really helped pave the way for a lot of his roles. I'm doing a list of different movies that Richard Roundtree was in for comicbook.com. You should check that out. You got like seven. You got the Shafts. You got Roots. You got all these things. The guy performed for a long, long time. So rest in peace to the guy. Good chat, Aaron. Uh, Jenna, tell him what to do. It's at Hey, it's Jenna Lynn on social media. As always, go read some comics. Um, the Miss Marvel, the New Mutant series had its penultimate issue this week. And so did Marvel Unleashed, which is basically the Pet Avengers book. Both have been absolutely delightful. So I will recommend those. And yeah, go read Joanna's book. Like, seriously, it is so in-depth. And like, as someone who writes and researches and does all of that on my own spare time, it is inspirational to see like how she weaved all of this together. So. It is it is a really interesting book. All right, y'all, that's our show. I already rambled. I'm going to keep this one short. Hit me up at Brandon Davis. But if you want to talk more, subscribe to Phase Zero on YouTube, please, because we're dropping Loki interviews every Monday, and there's even more coming. I don't even remember. Liam's doing some. I'm doing some. We got a bunch coming. And uh, leave a five-star review. Play our show for your mom, for your sister, for your dog. Just keep those keep those listeners rising for us. We appreciate y'all. It really means the world that you guys listen to us. And when you leave comments that show that you're actually listening, and it's like something that happens like 53 minutes into an episode. And I'm like, damn, people really do listen. That's crazy to me. Somewhere in the world, like on a Tuesday afternoon, there's somebody listening to us. What? That's crazy. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. We love you for it. We'll see you tomorrow night for a bonus episode of Phase Zero. Later. Later.